Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Morning, Sarah. Hello, Rebecca. How are you today? I don't know if you can tell, but uh, I'm rocking the deep voice. It uh, It's a perfect podcast presence. <laughs> I don't know. I just woke up and voice had dropped an octave. I tested. It's it's not the it's not the Rona. <laughs> the plague. <laughs> well, keep keep rocking the good voice. Do all your recording now while you have a nice deep narrative voice. Uh, I had to because we have a podcast episode coming out this week and it's on one of our newest favorite people. Our newest favorite people. You're right. We do have a list of ongoing newest favorite people, don't we? It we should is, talk about our oldest favorite people sometime. There is room for all to be on the favorite list. <laughs> but who is it? Who is it? Her name is Cassie. You guys probably have seen her at some point. She's been working with us for about two years now because she came on originally as an intern with the Federal Cartridge Project. And so she's been working on that. And then when Erin went and found another job, she moved in as interim and we really just like her. So we asked her to stay. When we needed somebody to help bail us out, she was one of the first names that we thought of because she's just amazing as a human. She went out to Wargo Nature Center and did the heritage labs for us uh, without nary a wink. Uh, she's done all the, the other promotions and and festivals and things we've asked her to do, as well as, here, put things in the collection. Uh, she's been game for anything. And she did it all while graduating with her master's at the same time and getting married and carpooling. And she's a master juggler. Not to mention the farm and taking care of grandparents. And There's a lot to the scale. Well, let's hear directly from her. It's a deal. I have the exciting advantage today of sitting with our new collections manager, who I will give you her first name, and then she can give you her last name, because there's a little bit of a story about whether it's pronounced A or it's pronounced B. So we are here with Cassie. Mockintoon. It's Ma Cantoon. Yes. Macintoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or uh, Macanthan. Or Macanthan. I am not uh, Scottish or Irish. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, in Waconia, everybody, where I live around, everybody uh, knows the store as Macintoons. That's not right. And very German. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, Macintoon. So, and you come in and ask for our new collections manager, Cassie Ma Cantoon. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And we expect you to wear the top hat and... Yeah, come out with the monocle yeah. and the cane. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll try. No, you'll probably just see uh, some sort of a sweater and long blonde hair up in a variety of different ways. And that's the, that's the lady. That's the, <laughs> that's the collections manager. <laughs> no, you're driving all the way from Glencoe mm -hmm. to hang out with us. Yeah, yeah, an hour and 15 minutes. Most of it on 169. So... Good news is, is I basically drive straight west and then drive north most of the way. So I make like two turns. <laughs> Not very hard to get here, but yeah. Um, 
I've worked up in the area before, um, so this area is not um, new to me. Uh, I was here in this particular place uh, in Adenoka here two summers ago as an intern for the Federal Collection. So I have a little bit, when I came here, I had a little bit of a base of what was going on in the collections. And uh, yeah, so, um, and then before that, just after uh, college, after my uh, bachelor degree, I worked at MNHS in um, Elk River, so at the Oliver Kelly Farm. So I'm relatively familiar with this area, although I'm still getting my, my sea legs as to what streets are where and what houses or businesses are in this particular area. So that's always fun. <laughs> oh, it, I appreciate you driving all this way. Yeah. And so I would like to think we're something special that is drawing you to this point an hour and a half away. Yeah. Yeah. There definitely, um, the atmosphere. So I grew up on, on, uh, I'm the seventh generation on my family farm and, um, you know, county historical societies have always been a really big thing because my family has been around in McLeod County um, for a very long time. So that was always something I uh, um, did with my grandpa a lot. We went to uh, various historical societies when I was little. So that was kind of our thing. And yeah, once I came here, it just kind of felt like home. So, and I love talking to, um, you know, people as they come in and donate you know, their special things and learning the stories behind them. Um, that's definitely uh, something that kind of drew me here. Stories were a big part of my family and growing up and everybody always passed on, um, you know, little tales here and there. Um, so it's always nice to get nuanced nuggets of history um, from various people uh, in Anoka County. What's it like being part of a seventh generation legacy story just the the depth that your your family has in one location and what does that feel like when you're talking with other people who might be an immigrant and they might not have that depth here with us or with another agriculture family that may have multiple generations you know how do you reconcile those two yeah so um I guess I go into the conversation with this idea that um they could be the first of making the putting down these roots, uh, making this sort of uh, you know foundation for their legacy. Um, and it just because somebody else has been here longer doesn't mean you can't have the same impact. Um, and then just grow from there. Um, so yeah, I think that um, the most important part isn't how long your family's been there, but. Um, the interesting stories behind it, right? So it's not about uh, being an old family and egg, but um, looking at the stories as um, finding ways in which they are unique, you know, finding that new uniqueness um, that is connected to um, Anoka, you know, rather than having it be um, egg, maybe there's a new uh, restaurant that's in town and that's part of their legacy and really, um, kind of uh, honing in on on you know those those elements and how they're um, setting down their roots and what things are important to them. So you've been invested with us for the last several years. Mm -hmm. You took a brief hiatus to go finish up your master's mm -hmm. which you graduated. Woo, woo. And you're back with us now. 
with all all jets on high, what are a couple of the things that you'd really want to attack right off the bat? Well, I think right right off the bat, um, I think that an important thing, um, at least for me and getting to know the collection here, um, is to do <laughs> is to do an inventory and figure out um, really try to get more of a sense of um, is our collection reflecting what our you know goal is for the collection we have now do we do we have um, things that reflect what Anoka County stands for um, and that's going to be something I'm going to be tackling you know I'm trying to just dive right into um, but I guess another another big thing is we have um, this really big Arfstrom donation uh, and it's been quite the process to try to get through everything because there's so much of it and um, that's probably one of my biggest goals is to get through that so that you know we can have a bigger um, exhibit or um, particularly since uh, my degrees in history you know um, so that people can research that if they want to come in and and find out more about Arfstrom we have um, a rock solid um, area in our collection kind of like our federal area where we can be like hey this is in this spot we have all this stuff on the database and we can we can help people figure that out um, and the overall goal I think I have for you know the next couple of years is trying to get those bigger collections as um, you know professionalized as the federal um, portion of our collection is um, so that we can go through things a little bit easier um, and uh, really help out the people who walk through our doors. When we were talking about holes in the collection, mm-hmm. how do you see Arfstrom filling some of those holes? Yeah, so Arfstrom, the Arfstrom collection is a, uh, a pretty unique collection just because um, it's art and it's sci-fi. And, um, you know, a lot of the things that we have in the collection are, well, Federal's a big portion. Yeah, that's the, the businessy side of things. And then you have, oh, that's, you know, generations. Um, you know, if people work there, and that's a really big part of Anoka history. But I think that it fills in the the more artsy gap of things. Like, yes, there is that, that business side of things, but there's this whole artistic community um, that I think that we're tapping into. Um, and particularly, I think that that will... Um, you know, being a millennial myself, that'll definitely appeal to younger generations. Um, so I, I feel like that for sure fills that gap. My specialty, my favorites, are always the diaries and the journals. <laughs> and I know Arfstrom's got a pile of those, yeah. so we'll continue transcribing those and working on getting those up on the collections so that people can read through the, the diaries. But the interesting thing about the sketchbooks is that there's the components of the final art in the sketchbooks. And so how do you see those playing together in the exhibit hall? Yeah, so um, I think that the most interesting thing I've noticed about like the sketchbooks um, is that you can see an evolution in his artwork um, and how he kind of developed all of this as he went along. And I think that... Um, 
you know, being able to display that and see how the creative process happens um, is is definitely something that will uh, translate well, I think, um, in an exhibit hall and make it and and make an exhibit that uh, is a little more fun and not so much just fact based, but here is how this happens. Let's show you. Um, def- obviously visual. <laughs> how do you as a person manage the your favorites versus uh, what might not be your favorite? And how do you manage making sure that the collection reflects not just your personality and not just what you really like, but what would be beneficial for researchers in 50 years? Yeah, so how I how I manage that I think is well I just have a history brain so I'm constantly thinking about yeah you know um what are people going to be interested in in 50 years what is you know I try to put myself into um their shoes and um really hone in on on a variety of different things so um not only you know we were talking about Armstrong so art is going to be important but um you know, different types of minutes and business papers. And I know we had a conversation about, you know, the different, the variety of uh, um, business papers here that we have to go through and kind of get, I forgot the name you, you give, you gave those particular papers. Um, Our institutional memory. Yeah, institutional memory, there it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, working with things like that. So obviously that's not my favorite thing to work with, but I... I know that this is going to be something that is going to be important later. And as far as, you know, um, reflecting my personality, yes, I'd love to, you know, uh, just focus on the things that I want to get done, you know, the fun sci-fi stuff, because that's what I like. But, um, you know, I, I see the importance in, you know, older artifacts that um, maybe aren't my favorite, but I can empathize with different people as to, hey, I understand why this was important to, you know, a lady in her 60s um, because it has nostalgia with her story um, or or maybe, uh, yeah. Um, so things like textiles aren't my, definitely aren't my favorite um, things to work with, but uh, it's nice to see that things like that um, can tell a story for older people. And what I, when I come into a museum and the, the type of feeling that I get, I want to create that for everybody. Because you spend so much time in museums with your grandpa growing yes. up, what is it about walking in the door of a museum that has kept you in this business? Ooh, uh, probably because there's always something to connect to. When you walk into the when you walk into a museum, no matter, I would like to think, I strive to think that uh, no matter who you are, you try to connect to something. That's what people do whenever they see an artifact. They try to um, posit that artifact in their story. Um, so that's really um, kind of my aim with the collection is make sure we have things that are not only research savvy um, and reflect the, the, you know, the county but also are something are things that people can connect with and maybe bring up memories or um, create new ones. Is it important to go to a museum with someone of a different generation? I think so. Uh, just because 
a lot of times, especially if you go with someone, so say um, you go with somebody older, which is your typical, I went with my grandpa a lot, um, it seems to jog memories um, whenever they see something. Um, And then that typically leads to um, a story uh, that maybe you haven't heard or a story you've heard a million times, um, but it just cements it into um, into your memory. And I think it's also important um, to go with younger people. Uh, I've noticed when I go with my friends, um, it's a completely different experience just because um, maybe you don't get, you know, the stories you would uh, from going with an older generation, but uh, maybe you can get different points of view. Um, maybe it's a good way to get to know somebody um, in a in a different way, if that makes sense. No, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Just how they're interacting with the item that they're seeing. Yeah, yeah. How they're how they're interacting, or maybe it makes them think of you know something that they had never told you about, or you know a story from their childhood, and maybe that's a different way that you can make a connection with them. Um, is they tell a story about, I don't know something they did over the summer because of this particular piece of art that they saw or something. And then you can say, you know, oh, I went to an art, you know, art museums a lot as kids. And then you can find this whole new thing to bond over. I think there's a potential for that anyway. How do you, how do you think you're going to be able to use your imagination and creativity in a position that is intrinsically data-based and intrinsically put the number on the folder, put the thing in the folder, put the folder in the box. And it's it's a very logical, methodical job. Yeah. But yet you've got so much creativity and imagination in your human. Mm-hmm. How can you mix those two together? Uh, I think <laughs> I think I'd, I think I work well with my creativity within a box. That's why I went to history, right? My creative <laughs> writing. So History, instead of cre- creative writing, the world's your oyster, but within history, you have to be within this box and then you can get creative in there. And I think that um, I work well in situations like that. The creativity comes in when I have to answer research questions. Like I get real creative on you know, what we have, what we can use as, as sources, um, you know, finding different resources. And I think that um, that's kind of where my creativity, I like funnel my creativity. Um, or even when I'm making descriptions of things, I try to be as thorough as possible um, when it comes to uh, describing, you know, oh, here's this thing. This was when it was, I try to find out, you know, all that I can about that. This was when it's made. This is what it's, you know, made of. This is who it belonged to. This is why these people are important. And, you know, that takes a lot of creative research um, to do that. And well, whenever an exhibit gets put up as well, um, getting, you know, getting to write the, um, exhibit labels and, and kind of picking and choosing what goes out, um, into the, for, for the world to see, um, I think is also a way I express, um, my creativity. And, you know, people might not know that the description that's in our database, in the actual collective access file, Mm -hmm. very often is the only initial set of information that we have about an object. Mm -hmm. So when people come in to do some research and we do an initial search of collective access, 
we're actually searching the words that are in that description field very often. So if the description field isn't very thorough, there might be an item in the collection that relates to their research but isn't being pulled up because we don't have the right keywords in there. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that's part of the challenge of being a museum is trying to think for a thousand different people over a hundred different years Mm -hmm. what anybody might call this particular object or what the circumstance might be for them coming in to use it as part of their research Mm -hmm. and trying to have that foresight yeah yeah I think that um yeah like you said trying to think for a million different people I think that that is also where um you know volunteers kind of come in right you have different sets of eyes to look at things um, and especially when I do the this inventory project, I think that that's going to be um, the perfect opportunity to have different sets of eyes on things and um, to really look at the description and see, you know, revisit to see if it's actually, um, well, one, the correct description or the most thorough one that you can give. And then um, maybe adding, uh, you know, a few different keyword terms that maybe my young brain wouldn't think of. Um, for calling that maybe there was you know if someone older came in and was working on this project they would be like oh this is a that but we don't call it you know it's not called that anymore that was just like a slang term so I think that volunteers definitely um, pick up the slack there um, when it comes to trying to have thorough records um, and make it make it as streamlined and as easy for people um as we can. So when you're working with volunteers, that's one project that people could come and help with would be researching and creating some new descriptions. Yeah. Um, what are some other projects you'd love help with? Oh man, so many. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So the, like I said, the inventory one is a big one and, um, we have this, uh, Banfield lock, uh, collection where a lot of it, I dug into a box myself and a lot of it is, um, not numbered, which was a big surprise to me. So um, just being able to go through and just sort numbered versus non-numbered and then go through and, you know, uh, get the the descriptions all set up for the stuff that is numbered. And then we can go through and and kind of, um, you know, figure figure out what we're going to do with the non-numbered stuff. I think Sarah today put it uh, the best. She says it's like, this mystery box that you pull down from the, cause you never know what you're going to find in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might come across something that we didn't even know existed in our collection. And, um, it's this, you know, big deal, you know, maybe it's something that's a big deal and we really needed to get into collective access. And, you know, that's something that maybe I can't get to all at once. I'd love to, but I have so many other irons in the fire. Um, people could come in and, and, um, you know, help sort that out. That would be a huge, huge help. Gives us a starting point anyway. I think people hearing you say that we have mystery boxes in the museum, uh, it's no cause for alarm. <laughs> um, one of the joys and one of the challenges of being a small museum is that we were created in 1934 by humans that had an interest in preserving the story of their own community and we grew with it and through time and we brought in new people and everyone has had such a sense of ownership over the years of 
the, the organization and of the legacy story of the county. And it's only been the last, you know, five to 10 years that we've had true professional archivists in working with the collection. And so very often the volunteers brought in amazing, cool items and, you know, it just, it literally just got tucked in a box and it's perfectly safe sitting on the shelf. But because we have such a limited staff, very often it didn't uh, get processed to the professional standards that we have now. And so one of, I say one of the joys as well as one of the challenges is going through now that we have the ability and the resources and the, the staff now um, to go back and, and start professionalizing the past, essentially. And the more we can do that, the more we'll be able to invite in university folks that want to do thesis and doctoral work and be able to use the collection in a, a true research fashion and be even more useful to the greater cause, shall we say, you know, the movements in, in society where you're looking at, you know, maybe women's labor, or you're looking at um, economic trends and, you know, we can provide some data points in comparison to other places that they're looking at. And so I, I find that very exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it always makes my days, I never know what's going to happen. I can always have a plan for the day, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's how the day is going to go. Um, more often than not, that's the case. Um, but yeah, being in the collection, um, yeah, you just, it, it, it's always a, a new challenge, a new thing that you you thought didn't exist comes to light and then you do some research and um, yeah, I was talking about research and I do a lot of the research questions. Um, every time I get one of those, um, send them my way. I learn a little bit more about Anoka County. Um, clearly I am transplanted here for a few hours out of the day. Um, so I didn't grow up around here, so I don't know all of the, the secrets, if you will, of Anoka County. Um, but I'm trying to learn to be uh, that, that knowledge base, that wealth of knowledge that people can come to and be like, hey, I have this question. Do you know where this was? Um, and I'm, I'm learning. Um, from you know people like Don and Karen and Jane and everybody here, so I'm definitely grateful for that. I think one of the things I've learned over the years is how applicable what you learned over here is to what you're doing today. So I was also an intern <laughs> at in the Siouxland Heritage Museum, and we did um, cemetery tours. So a lot of what I did and a lot of um, when we were working on the uh, veterans exhibit and stuff like that and how the stories about these people, these veterans from Centerville was very similar to the stories I had done and had to give tours um, for those different cemetery tours um, in that, you know, these people show up here in this particular place and they just want to, uh, you know, make a home for themselves and their family and then war comes. Um, and I found that, um, you know, how we found information for, or the process we went through to find information for that particular cemetery tour um, translated in how, you know, UI and Jane worked on finding, um, you know, the stories of veterans and then putting that into uh, 
either either a tour like I was doing in Sioux Falls or uh, like we did putting that you know into a story on a wall um, and really trying to um, you know make that connection uh, with different people here and that there's a lot of names within there that those these families still exist um, so it's always important to um, you know keep that in mind and mention that uh, when you're doing that kind of work so I find it very easy to forget that the dead people we're talking about still have living people attached to them mm-hmm. yeah that uh, a lot of times when you're in a museum or when you work with history all you do is talk about you know people who uh, no longer exist <laughs> you know especially in the collections where I'm just dealing with object yes I I deal with people, but a lot of times I'm dealing with objects um, that maybe have no fam- immediate family connection here. Um, but yeah, there. It, it's always nice to see, um, you know, when people come in and they're they're you know talking about this particular this particular person, um, and then you know a few weeks later I go back and I'm like, oh hey, that so this you know so and so was just talking to me about. Um, this particular family member and look at that there they are um or you know you find out that someone was a business owner and you've been studying this business owner and then you find out that his great-grandson is the sheriff um so those are always uh interesting connections to make and yeah make make that history more real Cassie, I am so excited to have you on staff and I'm really looking forward to the next couple of years working for you because you can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. I yeah, it feels like I found my my niche. We welcome everyone to come in and not necessarily bombard, that would be cruel. But um, come in and say hi to Cassie, welcome her to the staff, grab a cup of coffee sit down and talk about your family, get some stories out there. Um, It would be wonderful if you sat down with a recorder and brought in those stories, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But we hope that you can join us in the journey forward and um, adopt an artifact along the way. But Cassie, thank you so much for your, your time and energy in being here and doing the podcast as well. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to... uh to dive in and, and serve the county. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. Hello everyone, Diana Nurberg here, librarian for Anoka County Library, and I've got some great resources related to this episode's topics. Let's get started. First, we have The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of Our Relationships Where We Spend Most of Our Time by Shasta Nelson. Our organizations benefit as friendships at work result in higher levels of workplace productivity, employee retention, safety, innovation, collaboration, and profitability. In the business of friendship, friendship expert Shasta Nelson inspires readers to see why friendship is crucial to our health and our careers, and teaches us exactly how to develop the supportive and meaningful connections we need. Next, we have Humor Seriously, Why Humor is a Secret Weapon in Business and Life and How Anyone Can Harness It, even You, by Jennifer Lynn Aker. Learn how to harness the power of humor in business and life based on the popular class at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. Research shows that humor is one of the most powerful tools we have for accomplishing serious things. This title unpacks the theory and application of humor. What makes something funny? 
how to mine your life for material, and how to craft a joke. They show how to use humor to make a strong first impression, deliver difficult feedback, and foster cultures where levity and creativity can thrive. And they explore the gray areas of humor, how to keep it appropriate, and recover if you cross a line. Next, we have How to Money, Your Ultimate Visual Guide to the Basics of Finance by Jean Sherman Chatsky. Geared for children 12 to 18, this illustrated guidebook from New York Times bestselling author and financial expert Jean Chatsky, Catherine Tuggle, and their team at Her Money breaks down the basics of money, how to earn it, manage it, and use it, giving you all the tools you need to take charge and be fearless with personal finance. How to Money will teach you the basics of creating a budget and sticking to it, scoring that first job and what that pay stub means, navigating student loans and avoiding student debt, getting that first credit card and what credit is, and investing like a pro and why it's important. Finally, we have Learning Express, which is an online resource. Learning Express provides access to interactive tests, tutorials, and ebooks. This database includes a school center, college preparation center, high school equivalency center, adult learning center, career center, and Recursos para Hispanohablantes, that is a Spanish center. Create a username and password to access courses and tests. We hope you enjoy exploring these helpful resources from the library. Until next time, happy learning. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anocacountyhistory.org. Well, Sarah, did you hear anything in there that surprised you about Cassie or did you know it all? I love how she has moved in and made the space her own already. She has a little lamp on her desk and these adorable photos and, and things so that her workspace is completely Cassandra. You know, that workspace needs something completely Cassandra because otherwise it's a bit of a gray, dark hole, especially since it's right near the mechanical room. It has this perpetual thump a thump a thump a thump a thump a thump a thump going in the background. And sometimes louder thumps. Like may True. have just happened through the True. door. True. Uh so anyway, if anyone wants to donate to our boiler fund, uh, we could certainly use some help creating that. That would be great. <laughs> you know, one way they could do that, roundabout, uh, you could adopt an artifact. How do you adopt an artifact that helps the boiler, Sarah? Because we have to care for all of the artifacts in our collection, whether they're like sitting on a shelf or not. And part of that care is making sure that they have a steady temperature that isn't waffling around. And if we lose the boiler, that'll cause some temperature waffling. It will waffle and we will have no maple syrup to put on those waffles either. I am more of like a thin pancake gal rather than a thick waffler. But, but we digress. <laughs> the point <laughs> is made. The point is we have this great Adopt an Artifact program now. And there's a page on the website that talks a little bit more about it. There's three different levels that you can adopt anything in our collection unless someone's already adopted it. So the oldest pickle is off the table, folks. Sorry about that. You missed it. Maybe next year you can fight for it. Anything in the collection you can adopt 
and the money goes into our operating funds in order to keep the electric going and the heat going and make the boxes the best that we can and the tissue paper and the labeling system and to pay for this lovely human that we've hired in order to take care of all of the things. It's been a super fun way to discover or rediscover things in the collection as people have adopted their favorite things. Well, and we have one board member who recently adopted an enormous desk, which has prompted us to create a pop-up exhibit coming soon. Exactly. Spurring all of the ideas. So look on our website, see that MN Collections uh, part of the website. You can root around in there and see if there's an artifact that jumps out at you. Otherwise, we are here to help if you particularly like collecting coins or you happen to like, uh, you know, I don't, help me out, Sarah. Um, big objects like desks. It's animal, vegetable, or mineral. We got it. We do. This is true. Well, <laughs> I am off to do more things today. And uh, I had a lovely time, Rebecca. A deep voice and all. And I will see you next time. Hopefully sounding more like myself. Have a great week, everyone. Bye, all. If you have a question... Want to visit our show notes page for each episode or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, the Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future.